Hi folks, and please don't skip forward. We do need your support. I know you're sick of me asking, but I wouldn't ask if we didn't need. If you're listening to the podcast, if you get something out of it, please try give something back. While you're listening, maybe click on the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. Have a read through, see if there's something that you think you're happy to chip in. Chip in for a month, try it, see what you think. And, you know, you might find that you, you want to cancel it after a week and, and go ahead. But you get that 30 days and you get access to all of our back catalogue, one consolidated feed and the exclusive podcasts that we put out that don't actually make it out to the public. Um, some of them with good reason, obviously. Uh, it's difficult out there we know that and we really appreciate every cent we get we try to keep these podcasts free and accessible for all and the, but the only way that continues to happen is if listeners can pay it forward thanks for listening thanks for the support hope to see lots of you on friday evening in ballymun uh, hope martin is well enough to make it he's promising us he'll be wheeled in in the chair if he has to be uh, but nonetheless there's a great night's entertainment in the offing and enjoy this conversation with the excellent, always excellent, John Harris. And do check out his Anywhere But Went Westminster video series. It's excellent. It's all available on the Guardian website. If you go through, you can just, just throw in John's name, you'll find it. It's well worth a watch. Really, really powerful stuff. Thanks again. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and I'm back flying solo, folks. But the reason I'm flying solo is because uh, my colleague is quite unwell and Rory has decided he has a uh, a family commitment that he has to go to because lo and behold, I've been dragging him to all sorts of things uh, and book events and book events and book events. And he has so his head is so big now after the Blind Boy podcast uh, live in Vicar Street in front of a sold out audience. He had the time of his life, folks, and I'm sure he'll tell you all about it very, very soon. Anyway, we are are delighted to be rejoined on the podcast by the award-winning um, co- uh, political commentator John Harris, who's also the host of Politics Weekly podcast and the man who's delivered one of the best ongoing series anywhere but Westminster. John, it's good to see you. Uh, it's nice to be here, as ever. No, listen, I really appreciate it. Uh, let's take the tape back a little while uh, to when you told me that we were going to have uh, a Liz Truss prime minister uh, before, and it it. it it only seems like a few months ago, John, but we uh, we 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 ended up with that Liz Truss Prime Minister, despite the fact that I I think at the time, John, I laughed and laughed and thought uh, you were being uh, sarcastic, and and then she only lasted six weeks, two of which yeah, yeah. Know, were down to a, a mourning period, yeah, and yeah. now and now we have another rain. Where just give me a quick where you think we are now in the. Well, I just should tell the listeners that that you were laughing even more intensely a moment ago. Yes, because I held up my "In Liz We Trust" placard. <laughs> I, how did you get that? I went to the a conservative leadership hostings in in Birmingham, and and um, there is so much money swelling around the Conservative Party that they just hand stuff out. I've got a Rishi Sunak T-shirt. Lovely. Which at the time I thought was a completely irrelevant item and would soon be going down the Oxfam shop. But that obviously, that's now back in fashion. Uh. I got two Liz Trust T-shirts and, and an Is Li- In Liz We Trust placard. I think it was from going to that event that I sort of acquired this certainty that she was going to win, which I then told you about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Britain because it's in such a sort of febrile, turbulent state, I don't. I mean, the adjectives could go on forever. Bonkers is another one. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, everything is sort of in flux and swirling around, but but certainly for that period, I mean, I would say this goes back to Theresa May leaving the scene, really. Everything politically seems to move at an accelerated speed. 
There's a film we've just, and any ever Westminster film we've just put up. I've seen which, it. It's in 16, which I it, go to Conservative Party conference, and I say to the camera, I say, usually political speeches are talked about for about three hours and then they disappear. And I said, well, that one's disappeared already. And it and it feels like we're everything's accelerated. It's like a prime ministership where everything happens ten times as fast. And in keeping with my uh, reputation for being a modern Nostradamus, that one proved to be correct as well. Because mm. inside about ten days or whatever it was of making that film, she'd left the scene. Mm. Uh, it's it's you know not for nothing did the Economist magazine have on its cover two issues ago. I think he said, "Welcome to Brittany." Yes. The yes, irony yes. of Brexit is, you see, we left Europe only to become more European and Southern European specifically. We now go through prime ministers like a dose of salt. I, I, I think there was a, I, I think I referred to it to um, uh, Richard Murphy recently when I was talking to him and I said, I, I, I wanted to name the podcast episode we're going to do um, on the on the on the basis that Boris Johnson was having another go at coming back. Uh, we were going to call it Welcome to Brittany, the return of Borosconi, you know. And, yeah, uh, yeah, no, it is like that. It's very, very like that. Because as well as that rapid turnover of politicians, there is that constant undercurrent, you're right, of sort of Berlusconi-type politics. In fact, everyone always makes comparisons to Donald Trump, but I think Berlusconi is an equally apposite reference point, as is Victor Orban, you know. So, again, so that's a very sort of European streak. It's a profound irony, really, that post-Brexit, Britain has such a stereotypically <laughs> European kind of kind of yeah. politics. But the basic reason for it, I mean, joking, that's only half joking, but the basic reason for it is clearly that Brexit has so sort of upset everything and set everything into this sort of chaotic state of motion mm. that high political office, you know, it's not like one of those fucking Broncos you get in, in uh, nightclubs of low repute. I, I used to be one of a nightclub I went to in Manchester called Deville's, you know, where you, you sort of jump on when you're drunk and then, you yeah, know, yeah. inside 10 seconds, you're like, you're lying there moaning on the floor. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's basically the state that we're in. And I think, although there is this idea that the advent of Rishi Sunak in power will make everything more stable, I think all oh, that's relative. It will be more stable, but I don't think it will be stable with a capital S. No, it's, and I it, think it, all of these things to some extent will carry on, you know, it strikes me to go to Rishi Sunak for a moment. It strikes me that well, he's he's okay. The markets are a little bit happier because one of their own is back in charge. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, that's another European thing you see. So, yeah. notwithstanding the fact that it's still quite febrile, febrile and weird, so we've had this great convulsion which is ongoing, really, about the Home Secretary and policy on refugees. And oh, I, I want to ask you about that in a minute. All of that go stuff on. going yeah. on. So it's still it's still pretty febrile, but. It does feel a little bit like it must have done in Italy and Greece where the government was said to have hit the fiscal buffers and so the technocrats arrived in power. Mm -hmm. These sort of faceless, nameless, rather bland individuals who, who, who were there to sort of set the country on the right course and then pursued, I think in both cases, certainly in Greece's, policies of pretty swinging austerity because that's the next thing we're faced with. I mean, that's another thing that kind of, uh, confirms or intensifies this feeling that things are going to carry on being febrile and weird because on November the 17th, as your listeners may know, there is a medium-term fiscal statement which is going to be split between tax rises and spending cuts, which I think is going to make things in Britain socially even worse. 
So can I so can I come in on that and ask you the the most recent uh, anywhere but Westminster? You went back to Grimsby, yeah. and you and this is the, the terrible pun is it was grim, um, and that is the terrible pun about it. But it was grim in a way that you know was was honest and truthful, and you know some of the phrases that people used. And I, I I've written down a note that that many of the people you spoke to kind of spoke to, spoke about being alive but not really living. Yeah, yeah, surviving really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, you know, you have a housing crisis and food banks and poverty and inequality. You know, to to yeah. a comparable extent to the uh, what we do. Yeah. Um, but I suppose here it has a it has a very sharp political element to it in a place like Grimsby, in the sense that you're visiting somewhere that voted overwhelmingly for Brexit. And which for 74 years, I think, unbroken, had a Labour MP and now it's got a Conservative MP because of the political changes that Brexit triggered. So it's made that great political shift. And in the course of making it or in the wake of making it, nothing's got better. And in fact, things have got much worse, you know. So in the middle of this huge cost of living crisis bound up with a skyrocketing rate of inflation and rising interest rates and all the rest of it. Grimsby, among many other places, you know, every time a food bank opens, as I saw this this one food bank organised by a charity opened at one o'clock and there were 200 people outside straight away, 200 different households. And there was one fellow, which I think is the fellow you're alluding to, who we met, who had been in the British Army until 2009 and had left the army and like a lot of ex-service personnel, he had trouble really uh, with the sort of job that needs you to be in one place. And, you know, he tried being a security guard and it hadn't quite worked out and various things. But anyway, to cut a long story short, he hadn't had any money for, I think, for two months. And he was living by candlelight mm. and cooking his food on a fire pit in his backyard. And when I said to him, yeah, yeah, but you were in the army, meaning, you know, you served your country and we owe you a collective debt for that. I mean, that's mm. sort of what you'd think I was being the sort of military covenant in some way. Mm -hmm. He just kept saying... Yeah, but I'm in the army, I, 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 so I can do this because I was trained to do it. Yeah, he said, yeah. "You drop me behind enemy lines, and I can. If I have to eat rats, I'll do it." And so he says, "I can do this." He was on his way to sell clothes for food, and he but he had to. But but Johnny had. I, it struck me again that he had to go into that me mental place to to actually, you know, reconcile his yeah, place. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's how he survived. I think that's totally right. It's, and there are other people I've met who just inevitably in that kind of predicament who are just completely broke. I mean, human beings are amazingly resilient creatures as a rule, but yeah, but it's sort of broken by it, really. And it's awful. It's just the worst thing. I don't like filming it. I don't like talking to the people in the midst of it. Mm. But that's your job, you know, and it's a way of, pushing out of these cliches because the problem is that cost of living crisis and all that you know it's become a sort of abstract phrase it yeah. just rattles around and it doesn't mean much so i suppose one feels a responsibility to say look this is what it means and 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 that's that, what it means that, that that is the difference between the, the whole this idea of like these macroeconomic positions that this government are taking exactly and what exactly and what it means in those people those stories and i i, I actually genuinely appreciate and can actually see the hurt on your face that you don't like doing it yeah it's horrible 
But but uh, but like I mean, we, like we continue to speak to a woman, Sharon, who was made homeless and is living in her car. And when she was offered emergency accommodation, she was more or less told. And by the way, um, we don't know what you have to surrender your pets, surrender you know, surrender your way of life. All of these 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 things, that's behind those numbers. Those things are behind these numbers. I I, I do want to um ask you though uh, about the rotating chairs and then the the policy on immigration now again you referenced ireland having um having its own issues we're i'm worried that ireland has started to import some of the more ugly facets of maybe what we would refer to the uk's culture wars us culture wars we've imported some of these we've seen an acceleration of that when it when it comes to you know the taking in of refugees from ukraine uh people mm. who are which and we've done that like per head of capita ireland has, has performed admirably but we have gotten to a point where our emergency accommodation is now really really stretched to the to the full unnecessarily there's other choices that could be made you know we could look at vacant properties whatever whatever situation put that to the side but then you see the uk and you know oh, batten they were banging the drum of well we were first to send weapons we were first to step up we were the first to tell putin no yeah and but on the other side get get thee to rwanda <laughs> um and now looking at other deals for for migrants uh, um and People like I I know it was a joke, but I saw some idiot on LBC talking about putting great white sharks in the channel. No, no, that went viral, didn't it? That clip. Yeah. I mean, and and you have um people in power who actually are afraid to deviate from this policy because they think that's what their base want to hear. Yes. Um, well, it's also the product of a fairly desperate political calculation. You know, not for nothing does this great sort of shrill chorus of send them to Rwanda or the Home Secretary Suella Braverman uh, infamously said only a matter of days ago that there was an invasion on the English South Coast and that all these people were a scourge and all that, you know. That all arrives in the midst of exactly the problems that we spoke about a moment ago, you know, and that's the way it works. Nigel Farage was um, was on GB News last night, rocking up in Stoke-on-Trent, a, a place where none of the supposed benefits of Brexit have materialised. And, and like Grimsby, you know, things have gone backwards in the most awful way. And there he was outside Stoke-on-Trent railway station, pointing at a hotel, saying they're putting up asylum seekers there, right? And that's what it's for. There it is, you know, hello, people of Stoke. Don't think about the fact that I spun you the most unbelievable web of lies and you're now in a worse, a much worse predicament than you were six years ago, let's talk about the fact that some people who aren't from Great Britain are staying in a hotel. That's how it works. I mean, the same in Ireland, right? I would, mm -hmm. the, the, all of these things have a sort of grimly symbiotic relationship with housing shortages and insecurity at work and all that. They always do, historically. That's not that's no great revelation. Um, and in Britain, it has a fairly long history. I mean, it goes back into the mists of New Labour. You know, New Labour used to use some of this language to talk about bogus asylum seekers. And the other thing is to conflate questions about immigration with questions about refugees when, when those two things by rights ought to be separate. You know, the question of who you give visas to and, you know, the demands of your economy and all that as regards immigration are completely separate from questions of sanctuary and all that. But we, but, Politicians like Suella Braverman endlessly conflate the two. I have a, I have a sort of hope. I'm glad you do. Go on. That all of this might not 
actually have the audience a lot of politicians think it has sympathetically. And the idiots like that guy saying we should have sharks nearly Chandler in a very, very small minority. I actually think the public discourse in Britain is a bit milder and more compassionate than it was 10 or 15 years ago. That's certainly the case as regards questions of poverty and inequality. So that mm. whole strivers, skivers, everyone on benefit, benefits is a cheat and all that, that's, that's dwindled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, partly because I think once people start crossing the English Channel in little boats and, you know, as we've seen, people start drowning and all that stuff. And it's obvious that they're desperate. And for whatever reason, they're coming here. I think that perhaps puts a different sort of complexion on the conversation. I have no direct evidence for that, but I think, I think there's something in that. And I was sort of heartened as well, by the fact that in the conservative party, as much as anywhere else, there was a quite horrified reaction to Soella Braverman talking about this invasion. A lot of Tories didn't like it because there are, you know, it's not a really fashionable thing to say, but there are still Tories who have reasonable, sort of humanitarian, but, but <laughs> vaguely even, liberal instincts. You know, even, with, even without that, even taking apart and taking taking the emotion out of it, and what we what me and you would believe to be the right thing to do, you know, economically, people um, are required in 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 areas where you know the economy is lagging, where you need workers. Well, We've that's seen. a that's a good that would be a good way of beginning to. Take this con- if you're understanding that the public was perhaps a bit more open to some of this stuff. It would that would be a good way of taking the, the conversation somewhere different. Because mm. as you say, I, is, it, is this true in Ireland? You'd have to tell me. Because in Britain, asylum seekers. So in other words, once you're waiting for your your application for uh, leave to remain to go through, even then you're not allowed to work. We have a we have a we have a bottleneck whereby you know the the first kind of application there's no you get different different levels of a visa so up to once you once you achieve a stamp four you're able to apply for a certain uh, workers visa but we have a bottleneck because we don't have enough judges to process right, claims. Right. It's not so, so but but we we have like so but which this is where the two tier system come into Ireland because if you arrive from Ukraine you are immediately given. Um, that the right to work and the PPS, you're, yeah, you're, yeah, you're, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so they skipped all of the the the, the barriers that are put up. So it does, you know, it is two tier, and we have to, we have to be honest about that and say we've treated people differently depending upon where their place of birth is, you know, right, and, right, right. and 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 that's creating that's creating its own tensions whereby you know there's just people in these direct provision centres we call them for a number of years and they're sitting there seeing people there for for six or seven days and they're already being processed and uh, you know and eligible for. Certain things so so it is it there's a reality there but we go back to it and like uh, we've seen it now the bank of england is intent on killing inflation with its interest rate hikes and all it's doing is like the interest john like the inflation hasn't really been caused by in by by this it's been caused by a war in, in europe for the first time yeah, yeah. prices you know that this is an ineffective tool and i don't see enough discourse about saying how do how do we actually back away from that because if all you know, if the only if the only tool you have is a hammer, the, all, everything you see is a nail. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, so and anyone in Ireland looking at Britain from that distance, I think, will get a sense of this. Really, where we're at in Britain now is that just about everybody, somewhere in their mind, knows that Brexit has caused nothing but harm. Right? 
And what they were told about £350 million a week extra on the NHS and smaller class sizes and more, you know, they were told that food, I mean, can you believe the irony of this? They were told food would be cheaper and their gas bills would fall and all this stuff. Now, so the fact that none of that's going to arrive and they were effectively sold a pup, right? So all of that is beginning to sink in. It doesn't mean that people are ready to say, I was lied to, isn't it awful? At the very least, we need to begin the long journey of rejoining the single market, right? Mm-hmm. That's not what you hear in Grimsby or Stoke-on-Trent or places that voted for it. But people have an uneasy sort of sense of that. Like, it didn't happen, that, did it? Just didn't happen. Sometimes it's quite dysfunctional. People, Some people I've spoken to feel that some good could have come of Brexit, but somehow that left the scene when Boris Johnson disappeared. Yeah. Like he took that promise with him. So all that bring back Boris stuff, some of it was informed by the sense that if he came back, somehow you could break, you could make Brexit work. So it's very messed up, right? But somewhere in most people's soul, if you talk to them for long enough and you ask them the right questions, you'll get this sense that Brexit has been nothing but bad news, right? And that Brexit really sits under a lot of things which you've just mentioned, which it does, right? I think there's probably little doubt that at least a couple, a few points of the rate of inflation here are because of supply chain problems because mm-hmm. of Brexit. That's not a bad example. You know. I think the former governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, said on UK radio this morning that one of the reasons that the, all, the, all this uh, upset with interest rates of that was because of Brexit had put the economy in such a mess. I mean, if you've got, the other thing is, if you've got, which we have, a crisis of market confidence in the UK is a proposition, right? Mm. The fact that international financiers don't want to buy government bonds, right, because they they feel that Britain isn't something they want to take a punt on. Why do we think that is? Mm-hmm. Answer, because we're alone and adrift and messed up and we're not worth I I wouldn't put money into this country. If, I, if they said, do you want to buy British bonds or, you know, Swedish yeah. bonds or whatever, then I'd buy the Swedish ones. So and, that's, that's sort of where we are. We're haunted by it, but it's not gone anywhere yet. And but in this, the fullness this, of time, this, it will. You know? But this brings me to the very last point. I know you took for time, but there's not much change on the opposition benches in relation to that position either. Don't there's agree. Not... Don't agree. I don't agree, no. So, the, so... <laughs> go, go ahead. <laughs> so the Labour Party obviously is in a, is on a sticky wicket, right? Because if it's going to win the next election, which it shows a very, very good signs of doing, right? It's going to have to carry the votes of a lot of people in places that voted quite sizably for Brexit. Exactly the sorts of places I just mentioned, right? So if it was to stand there and say, well, all this hasn't worked, it's messed up, you know, you were lied to, we're going to have to begin the long process of, of stepping back closer to Europe then I, I don't think that would be the cleverest political move. But uh, something quite interesting happened when Keir Starmer made his speech at Labour Party conference about a month ago. Mm-hmm. There's a passage in that speech where he says, I understand why a lot of people voted for Brexit. They did it because they felt their communities had been ignored and that their local economy wasn't working and their kids hadn't got a fair crack of the whip and all that. And he said, I know why you did it, but you've been lied to, right? You didn't get what you 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 thought you were voting for. And he mentioned Brexit, right? And that, to my mind, was the first look like the first steps to beginning this conversation and beginning to sort of raise this question of what was it all for. But inevitably, it's in the nature of trying to get a majority politically that he has to proceed very carefully. But 
I think people have this idea that the Labour Party won't talk about Brexit, and it's starting to, right? Mm-hmm. And I understand why it does that in a very nervous, sort of te- cautious fashion, but that is starting to happen. And in well, the end, I think the public will be ahead of it, because as I say, it is sinking in now. It really is sinking in. Anybody who comes here, I don't know whether you've been here recently, but you, it's just a, such a weird place to be, <laughs> because it's like we're not ready to go, look, there's an elephant in the room, but we're just starting to say there's not as much space in here as there used to be, or there's a grey thing in here or something. Do you know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. in the fullness of time, someone might say, look, there's an elephant there. But, you know, I, be, pa- I, be patient. <laughs> I, I Okay, accepting that, I will just say, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm in a hurry to get it done because when we talk about those people who you you talk to and you and you see that there's a lot of hurt there. Yeah, and yeah. A, and... and you know the, the 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 truth of it is. I mean, I I I've, before we started this podcast, I went back and looked at the uh, you know the strangers case, the Thomas More speech, and uh, and and you know get grant them removed and 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 grant this year noise. And I, I always go back to this kind of idea of that that this is where we are. And many of these people have been lied to. Yeah, yeah. Been told that this is the way. And I just you know I do think that that maybe you're right. People people don't want to think that well we got that wrong. Maybe you're right that this, but ultimately the path leads back to some form of cooperation wider yeah, yeah. cooperation of course with, it with does of course it does but nobody be you know nobody likes being told that they fell for something do mm. they no that's that fair. gullible right and so it has to proceed very carefully and in the end i think people will come to that conclusion for themselves but things are messed up i mean again there's a bit in that grimsby film where there's a fella in the queue at the food bank talking about how worried he is that the government isn't going to uprate benefits in line with inflation and he said i voted conservative yeah. Go figure, you know. Yeah. Human beings are complicated creatures, but um what's that phrase? In the darkest of whatever's I see the merest glimmers of light. Otherwise I wouldn't be here, Tony. <laughs> I listen, John. I'd I have know. long since jacked this trade in if I wasn't at least a smidgen of hope. <laughs> I, I I'm 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 glad I'm glad for your uh your uh often often um how do I put it? Uh, mildly optimistic down mildly uh, yeah d- uh, d- downbeat uh, delivery though always always sets it off always Thanks. yeah yeah always uh, 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 the great uh, Italian communist I've probably said this before but the great communist theorist Antonio Gramsci yeah talked about pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will that's <laughs> roughly where I am <laughs> John Harris the Guardian folks do check out the the, the series uh, anywhere but Westminster do check. John also has his own podcast Politics Weekly and is a frequent commentator for the Guardian and always always grateful to, that he gives us his time to, on the Tortoise Shack thanks again and we will talk to you all very very soon thank Take you care. I'll speak to you soon Tony thank you Tony and Martin Martin and Tony speaking to interesting people only it's the Subscribe now on Patreon.